going to talk about prayer today. Um, so here are some prayers that have been overheard of children praying. Uh, Dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat, and I really don't want to ask my mom to move out. <laughs> or another one, Dear God, can you get me a smartphone? Santa must have forgotten. Or, Dear God, when, when will my sister stop being annoying? I'm down to my last patience. Or, dear God, please don't let it rain on Saturday. The first ball I hit will be for you. Or, dear God, I hope my dog is with you in heaven. Please take care of him. Sorry if he chews on your sandals. <laughs> Funny stuff, huh? Is, is praying easy or hard? Is it easy or hard? Jesus' disciples were Jewish and had no doubt been schooled in prayer, and yet they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. So let's take a look at what Jesus said to them about, about prayer. I want to read the first uh, 13 verses of our passage today. Luke chapter 11. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we, all, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't, let, he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? First, I want you to notice that Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying. The chapter begins, he was praying in a certain place. Jesus prayed. Did you know that? If the Son of God, in his earthly sojourn, needed to talk with his Heavenly Father, how much more do you need to pray? Where does that leave you on the need-to-pray scale? I want to show you some verses about Jesus praying in uh, the book of Luke, mainly just to show how frequently um, we're told about the Lord praying. The Gospels are, high, are a highly condensed biography, by the way. They're a highly condensed biography. Um, so there are lots of details and lots of things that are left out, which highlights even more the, the things that are left in, uh, the importance of the things that are left in. And throughout the Gospels, we see that one of those things is to see that our Savior prayed. Uh, oh, yeah. Notice that Jesus prayed. By the way, that's the first blank on your outline. 
Sorry about that. Look at Luke 3, 21. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened. It was baptism he prayed. Luke 6, chapter 12, or chapter 6, verse 12, 13. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them. Chapter 9, verse 18. While Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? A little bit later in that chapter, about eight days after these words, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. This is the transfiguration. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, talking to Peter, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And then a little bit later that same night, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, uh, knelt down, and began to pray. And then this last passage shows his habit. The news, uh, the news about Jesus spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. The Savior often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And then back at our passage, chapter 11, verse 1. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples to pray. So Jesus prayed. He taught his disciples to pray. John the Baptist prayed, and John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. God's people are a praying people. God's people are a praying people. The phrase praying Christian, praying Christian, that should be a redundant phrase. That should be redundant. It's like saying wet water, okay? Water is by nature wet, or saying delicious donut, all right? By nature, right? A donut is delicious. It's obviously delicious. It's a donut. It's obviously wet. It's water. He's obviously a prayer warrior. He's a Christian. She obviously prays. She's a Christian, right? A praying Christian should be a redundant phrase. If you are a Christian, you should be a person. You should be a person that prays. By the way, there are people in the world who are not Christians, who are not part of the people of God, who do pray, who do pray a lot. I want to invite you to take your Bibles. Just mark Luke chapter 11 there. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, page 319 in your pew Bible. Some of you may be familiar with this passage. Others of you may not be familiar with it. What's happened? This takes place in Israel. Elijah is a prophet in Israel. And the problem in Israel, the people of God are calling upon another God. Many of the people of God are calling upon another God whose name is Baal instead of the true God, Yahweh. And so what Elijah has done is he set up a contest, if you will. He's called, he's assembled all the prophets of Baal. There's 400, 450 of them. Assembled all the prophets of Baal. Assembled all the people of Israel. And he set up this, uh, this contest, if you will. And the people and the, and what they're going to do, Elijah's going to build a prophet to the uh, build an altar to the Lord, and the people of Baal are going to build a prophet to their god Baal, and then they're each going to pray, 
And the one and the God who answers by pouring down fire upon that altar and that sacrifice, that is the true God. That is the true God. So look at verse 25. Chapter 18, page 319. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. So they're calling upon their God. They're praying to their God, Baal, answer us. Look what it says. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah started mocking them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly, and they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. They're trying to do everything they can. Hey, Baal, wake up. Send down fire. Verse 29, all afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. And then, this is priceless, verse 29, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. There was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. There are people who pray that aren't believers who pray to a false god, but there is nobody on the other end. There's nobody on the other end of the line. And then a little bit of late, a little bit later, Elijah prays, verse 36. He set up the altar at the time for offering the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Yahweh. Now Elijah's praying. It's his turn. Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. So we have two different groups of people praying here on this famous day. One group was praying to a God who didn't exist, and the other was calling upon the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he answered with fire. So there are people who pray. There are people who are not of the people of God who do pray, but they pray to a false god. A contemporary example would be Muslims. Muslims are a praying people, but they are not God's people. They pray to a false god. And so we pray, we as Christians, we pray for Muslims that they will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will come to know the Savior whom we know and that they will become children of God, and that they will know the joy of praying to the one true living God. Prayer isn't something we just do to make ourselves feel better. It's not some kind of uh, a self-help type of thing. We're actually calling upon a living being. In fact, the greatest living being, the eternal God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Christians are a praying people who pray to the one true God, the creator of all things. So his disciples ask him, teach us to pray. They say to him, teach us to pray. And so, first of all, he talks about how to pray, how to pray. That's what Jesus' disciples wanted to know in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says in verse verse 2, says, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, etc. And here we have the famous Lord's Prayer, right? Actually, 
there's another version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, and that's the more famous version of the famous Lord's Prayer. That's the one that probably many of you have memorized. What we have here in chapter 11 is abbreviated form of the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus first responds to his disciples' requests, not by giving them instructions and explanations, but by giving them a prayer that they can actually say to God, giving them words to say to God. And what is it that Jesus teaches his disciples to say to God when they pray? And what is it that Jesus says to us to pray, to say to God when we pray? Well, first of all, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your name be honored as holy. A more familiar rendering is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And here we're praying that God's name would be reverent to us. We're praying that our lips and our lives would show that we worship and fear and love God. We're praying that God would help us and others to better bring glory to him. We're praying for the advancement of God's fame and his reputation, and that it would be great among the, among the nations. And then he says, pray your kingdom come. And here we're praying for the advancement of the kingdom of God here on earth. We're praying for the spread of the gospel. We're praying for more people to be saved. And we're also praying for the return of Jesus Christ, that he will come soon. And then it says, Jesus says, pray, give us each day our daily bread. And here we're praying for our daily needs. We're recognizing our dependence upon God, even for the basic things in life. Our daily bread, food. God has designed it so that we require food every day, or just about every day. And up until recent times, a large portion of many people's lives, a large portion of their daily lives have been spent in terms of acquiring food and preparing food. Um, Even now in our family, Sarah is charged with acquiring food and preparing food. (laughs) That's one of her... Uh, that's one of her roles in our family. Even yesterday, she spent like, I don't know, a gazillion, 10 hours, 10 hours in the kitchen canning and uh, dehydrating, uh, not her, but the dehydrating food and whatnot. Um, you know, you remember Esau in the book of Genesis, how he went out and he got food. He hunted for food, and then he brought it home and he prepared it for his father. And that's what Sarah does in our household. She, she goes out and she hunts for food uh, grocery store stores, plural, and then she prepares it. So give us today our daily bread. But we're praying for more than food. We're praying for our basic needs in order to live. And then the next petition, Jesus says, pray uh, and forgive us our sins, for we, also, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. It's pretty clear here what we're to pray for. We're to, pray, we're to ask for forgiveness. We're praying for God to forgive us of our sins. Even as we forgive other people, we ask our Heavenly Father to forgive us our sins. And then finally, and do not bring us into temptation. Here we're praying that our Heavenly Father would help us not to succumb to temptation. It's a recognition that we are prone to sin. A recognition that apart from God's help and guidance, we would far far more often fall into sin. And in this prayer, we're we're praying for help um, in overcoming sin. So, Are we to actually say these words when we pray? Yes. Pray this prayer. Or it's a more famous version in Matthew chapter 6. Like I said, I'm sure many of you have the Lord's Prayer already memorized. Of course, when you do pray it, you need to pray it with meaning. It's easy for people to memorize it, and they pray it so often that they're praying with their mouth, but they're not praying with their heart and with their mind. 
that does no good. All right. You need to pray it not only with your mouth, but also with your heart and with your mind. So you can say the prayer to the Lord. Uh, You can also use it as a guide for prayer or as an outline for prayer, if you will. I've often done this where you take you pray one line of the prayer and then you elaborate on it or you extrapolate uh, from that prayer. Let me just uh, walk through how I might do that. Uh, For instance, uh, a father. I'll stop right there. Our father in heaven, according to Matthew chapter six, our father who art in heaven. I'll stop right there. And I'll thank the Lord. I'll praise him because he is the creator. He is our father in heaven. He's the creator God. But he's also at the same time my father. By his design, through Jesus Christ, he has adopted me into his family. And I'll praise him for how great he is and the fact that he has noticed me and put me into his family. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May I and my wife and my children and my grandson truly hallow your name in our, in our minds and our hearts. May we truly reverence your name. May your people here at Northside hallow your name, reverence your name, and love you. May our country as a whole fear you, Lord, and reverence you. This is also a good time to praise God for whatever comes to mind, voicing the many reasons why I should revere and honor my God. Your kingdom come. And here I'll often, I'll often stop and I'll, and I'll start praying for salvation, for, for, for people that I know who I know are not believers and I want them to be believers. I'll pray for relatives and friends and so forth who I'm praying for, that they might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is in the Matthew 6 version, not in the Luke 11 version. I'll pray for my obedience and the obedience and holiness and godliness of others that I know and the obedience of our country and of other nations. Give us today our daily bread. And here I'll stop to thank the Lord for the many things that he has provided for us. I'll thank the Lord for food, for instance. But I'll thank him for other things as well. I'll thank him for electricity. I'll thank him for clean, accessible water. I'll thank him for a home that we live in. I'll thank thank him for automobiles that run, uh, for a job that pays. Uh, for family and friends and so forth, uh, for for health and whatnot. And I'll also pray about basic needs. Maybe it's a car repair. Uh, pray for harmony in the home. Help with a task. Maybe guidance in a decision. Uh, maybe health concerns or schedule conflicts or whatever. Uh, give us today our daily bread, the things that we need to make it through the day. And some of the things we need to make it through the day are... are earthly, material, physical things that we need to make it through the day. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And here's where I confess sin to the Lord. I, can sin, I, I confess my sins to the Father and ask him to forgive me. And I also usually ask him to help me to forgive others um, if, if, if there's a people in my life that I need to be forgiving. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here's where I confess my utter dependence upon the Lord to live the kind of life that he wants me to live. I ask him to fill me with his Holy Spirit, to help me to say no to temptation uh, and to grow in godliness. So that, that's just one example of how to use the Lord's Prayer as a guide to praying. It's not, that's not the only example. That's not the only way to do it. It's not even the best way to do it necessarily. It's just a way that has worked for me, must you always use the Lord's Prayer when you pray? No. No. There are several recorded prayers in the New Testament, and uh, none of them fit this pattern. 
None of them fit this pattern. Most of them are unique. But I will say it's good to return to this prayer often. If you are, in fact, if you are new to prayer, this is a good place to start. Uh, Say it to God. Say this prayer to God. Read this prayer to God and reflect on its meaning. Or if your prayer life is in a rut, using the Lord's Prayer as an outline for your praying could breathe new life into your prayer life. So Jesus talks about how to pray. They ask, teach us to pray, and he says, and he says, say this, say this. And then the rest of the passage, he talks about why they should pray. Why they should pray. Am I? Oh, look at that. I'm way behind on the clicker. That's okay. You don't mind, do you? Well, I raced ahead. Okay, I'm not even there yet, but you can fill, fill it in. Now, after teaching his disciples that, pray, uh, that particular prayer, Jesus continues to talk about, his, about prayer. And in verses 5 through 13, his goal is to induce his disciples to pray more. It's to encourage them to pray regularly, to, to develop a prayer life. And he does that by showing them that prayer works, that prayer works, and that God, who is on the other end of prayer, is a responsive God. Look at verse 5. He tells them the story. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's persistence, he will go, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. All right? Picture the story. A guy comes at midnight to a friend's house. And this is totally believable in Israelite history because, you know, they only had enough food for each day. Often they only had enough food for each day. And then next day they went out, acquired more food and so forth. So a friend comes, all the food in the house. There's nothing decent to feed this friend of his. And so he goes to another friend, and he bangs on the door and says, Hey, hey, I need, I need bread. And the guy says, Don't wake up my kids. <laughs> I can totally believe that. <laughs> Don't wake up my kids. Um, but you know what? His needs are met. His needs are met. He gets the bread. Why? Not because of the friendship. <laughs> That's not the reason, but because of his persistence. Because of his persistence. So Jesus paints a picture here of the fact that um, that prayer works. Now, the point of this story is not saying that God is reluctant to give us what, is, what we need. That is not the point of this story. Rather, the point of this parable is that prayer gets things done. Even though there are reasons why things would stay the same or should stay the same, yet by asking God for help, things that would otherwise remain the same change. They don't stay the same. In other words, prayer changes things. When I was a kid growing up, this was a very popular slogan. You know, you could, it was on plaques, some paintings or whatever. You could find, you could find a wall hanging that said prayer changes things. It was very, probably on bumper stickers too, I don't know. Look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, So I say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Asking gets results. Asking gets results. Think about the guy who goes to his friend at midnight. What if he hadn't gone to his friend at midnight? Would he have gotten the bread? No. No. 
I've heard Pastor Ryan say more than a few times, it doesn't hurt to ask. And you know what the answer is if you don't ask. Um, Simply asking for something is powerful. Simply asking for something is powerful, not just with God, but in our world, uh, in the way things work in our world. Simply asking for something is powerful, both with man and with God, because often, often we get what we ask for. Uh, Dallas Willard writes about the power of asking. He says this, Who really enjoys eating a sandwich in front of the family dog? No matter that it is your favorite sandwich, which you have lovingly prepared as part of a tiny vacation with your book in a quiet and pleasant place, here is the face, the eyes, perhaps a paw on your knee. You know the rest. You are up against a fundamental force of the universe. The power of asking. Now, for me, I don't think it'd be that difficult to say no, but uh, for many people who are especially enamored with those particular four-legged creatures, I I assume it might be difficult. Uh, It's a fundamental law. Um, Asking often gets results. Not always, of course we know not always, but it often gets results. In God's universe, there is power in asking. Think about what asking does in your life. Think about the things that you have done because someone has asked you to do it. Let me tell you about something that I don't like to do, and that is move pianos. I don't like moving pianos at all. I've never enjoyed it. Gravity always works against me. Um, And over the last several years, I've had various friends who have asked me to help them move pianos um, from one location that is not conducive to moving pianos to another location that is equally not not conducive to moving pianos. Uh, I I do not enjoy moving pianos. Have we got that clear? And yet, I don't believe I'm exaggerating to say that in the last several years, I've probably moved a dozen pianos. And often, uh, often Scott Densmore is with me. And sometimes it's because Scott Densmore has asked me to help him move pianos. And probably two or three times it's for Dawn, but I'm not sure about that. Why have I done something that I just do not enjoy? Because a friend has asked me. Because a friend has asked me to do that. Jesus is talking about results. He's talking about petitions. He's talking about getting things done, about changing things from a current situation to a better situation. Jesus likens prayer to asking and seeking and knocking, things that bring about change. Asking brings things that don't otherwise come. Seeking finds things that otherwise would remain Unfound. Knocking opens doors that would otherwise remain shut. These may be everyday actions, but they're powerful, just as prayer is. And I want you to see something else about prayer here. Notice that all these verses are talking about prayer. All these verses that are talking about prayer are talking about the kind of prayer that asks God for things. It's talking about petitions and requests, supplications. Thanksgiving is good. And that's an important aspect of prayer. Confession of sin is good, and that's an important aspect of prayer. Praise and worship is good, and that's an important aspect of prayer. And we we could spend a sermon on each one of those items. But there's also this matter of supplication and request. And that's also an important part of prayer. And that's what Jesus seems to focus on here in chapter 11. The disciples say, teach us to pray. 
And how does Jesus begin their education? Does he say, you know, make sure you begin with all kinds of praises and worship and with confession of sin and hold off onto the request until at least midway through the prayer? He doesn't say that. Or does he say, thank him for all kinds of stuff first? He doesn't say that. No, he focuses in on asking God for stuff. It's as if he's saying people have a tendency not to bring their messes and hopes and dreams to God. Don't be that way, Jesus says. Take that stuff to him. So these verses uh, bust a few myths, if you will. Myths like petitions and requests should only be a small part of prayer. Or the myth that you shouldn't pray for your own concerns. Or the myth that you should only ask for spiritual stuff. That's not what Jesus teaches here. Now, I am not trying to get you to be greedy and self-focused. That's not what I'm trying to do. I am encouraging you to recognize what Jesus wants you to recognize, and that is recognize your dependence upon God. We have this notion of thinking that in the spiritual matters we turn to the Lord, but in the earthly matters we've got it covered. We can take care of it. We don't need the Lord's help. That's wrong. I teach all the time. I teach all the time, so I'm used to teaching. But whenever I teach, I pray about it. (laughs) Because I know that my teaching apart from the Lord goes nowhere. When I shop for a car, I pray about it. When I feel a new ache or a pain or a twinge, and they seem to be coming more frequently, I pray about it. When I eat, I thank God for my food. I've been a parent for 25 years, and I'm still praying about it all the time. I've been a husband for 28 years, and I still pray about it. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Notice the combination of not being anxious and praying. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray. In other words, whatever causes you anxiety, take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, yeah, but this thing, it's so silly. It It wouldn't cause anyone else to be anxious. If it causes you anxiety, you should be taking it to the Lord in prayer. No matter how small you think it is, no matter how little, no matter how silly you think it is, take it to the Lord in prayer. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He wants to hear about it all. You know, as parents, if if there's something troubling our kids, no matter how little it may seem, we want them to come to us and talk about it, right? That's the way our Heavenly Father is. Versus, so what is this passage telling us? It's telling us that prayer works. Now, will God sometimes say no? Yes. Yep, he will. Just like, a, like, just like good parents sometimes, sometimes say no to the requests of their children. For instance, the prayer to help you sin in some way, God will always say no to. <laughs> he will not help you sin. Or maybe the prayer, help me to be the richest person in the world, uh, likely will not get answered as well. Well, it will get answered. The answer will be no. Uh, But as you pray more and more, and as you walk with the Lord more and more, and as you search the scriptures more and more, you will learn better what to pray for and what pleases the Lord. Finally, Jesus closes this prayer on teaching by pointing out that God is good and generous. So Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples to pray, and how does he do that? He By illustrating the fact that prayer works, and then by telling them that the person they pray to is good and generous. Verse 11, 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? No father would do that. Verse 13, if you then, well, (coughs) most fathers wouldn't do that. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, even though you, Jesus says, even though you are evil, you have sinful nature, you know how to give good gifts to your children. That's true of you. What about the holy God who is not evil, who is always good? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is not reluctant. He's not stingy. He's not unapproachable. He's not giving you crumbs when you're asking for a loaf. Just as parents delight to give their children good gifts, so too does our Heavenly Father. In uh, give, give you a couple examples real quick as we close. Uh, in in uh, May of 1996, value, uh, value jet flight went down in the Florida Everglades. You may, some of you may recall that, went down in the Florida Everglades. Um, and the, the debris was scattered over a large area of swamp. And they were, you know what they were looking for? They're looking for that black box, right? They're looking for that black box. And they searched uh, systematically for 14 days for that black box to tell them, you know, why the, what happened with uh, that value jet flight. Um, and the, the conditions and searching in the swamp, they were, they were unbearable conditions. And one of the people searching was a police sergeant by the name of Felix Jimenez. And during that time, he was a believer, he, he, during that time he had prayed for the bereaved families and the safety of his fellow workers. But then on day 15 of the search, it dawned on him that he had not prayed about actually finding that black box. So he asked God for direction and resumed the search, and when he stuck his pole into the water, he hit something metallic, and it was that black box. Oh, I'm way behind on the clicker. Anyway, that's part that, that's uh, the area where the plane went down. Isn't that amazing? And then uh, just another illustration. Last night, um, I came here to the church. I read through my sermon. Um, and then I was praying about my sermon. I prayed for a little bit, um, and I was praying about the focus and the direction and so forth. And then I was, uh, I, I was done praying, and I walked down to my study. And on my desk was uh, my briefcase, which I just put there. I never use my briefcase. It's been so long since I used it. And I had it on my desk, and I was going to put it away, and I just opened it to make sure there was nothing in it. And that, that briefcase, um, I used to, okay, I need to back up a little bit. So... When I was a kid, my favorite comic strip was Calvin and Hobbes and The Far Side. And I had collected uh, about 10 or 12 books, collections of those. Well, as I was, uh, as my, when my kids were uh, at home, especially Andrew, maybe Katie too, with the, in homeschooling, uh, I had to hide those books, especially from Andrew, because he would take those books and instead of doing schoolwork, he'd be locked in his room reading Calvin and Hobbes. So uh, on various occasions, I hid those books. And the last time, I hid them so well, I had no idea where they were at. And I've, I've, uh, for the last several years, I've been looking for those books. Anyway, and I would often hide them in that briefcase. So I saw that briefcase, and, I, and I, you know, from the, from the sublime to the ridiculous, I started thinking about Calvin and Hobbes and Farside. I enjoyed those books. And uh, I thought, no, they're probably gone. And then I said to the Lord, you know, you know where they're at. You know exactly where they're at. 
Would you, would you, I have never, you know, Lord, I have never asked you about these books. Would you point out where those books are at? And in less than two minutes, I had a book in my hand. <laughs> he direct, you know, the first thing I saw was a bench in my office that's covered with stuff. I thought, no way. <laughs> I looked in the bench and there it was. I've been looking for those for years. And that, that was just a confirmation to me that God is concerned about even God pays attention even to the little, ridiculous, insignificant things in your life. Are you kidding, Kent? You prayed about a Calvin and Hobbes book? (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? The Lord immediately directed my attention to it. And that's just an illustration of the fact of how attuned, attentive is that God is to our prayers. It doesn't mean he answers all our prayers as yes, but he delights to give good gifts to his children. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, you are so good to us. Whoever the greatest father who has ever lived in this world is, they don't hold a candle to the kind of father that you are. We thank you for the gift of prayer. You know, you didn't have to give this to us. You didn't have to open up the lines of communication between heaven and us. But you did because of your great love for us. And it's my prayer that everyone will take to heart the encouragement of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to pray about everything. And it's in his name that we pray now. Amen.